listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Eric Daw. That dude, that guy, he said, he... Yep, you hate him. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files podcast. Uh, this is a guitar-related podcast, if you don't know, about all things guitar science. You know, guitar building, guitar repair, guitar smashing, all of that kind of jazz. Uh, I'm all alone today. It's just me, just your humble host, Eric Daw, reporting for duty. Uh, I have no co-host this evening, but that's all right. It's just, uh, it's just me. I I should say it's just you and me. It's just you and I. We're going to do some podcasting here about guitars. What can I say? Um what have I been working on lately? Well, uh a lot of random repairs, a lot of pickup rewinding, I don't know. I've been thinking about setting up a uh, a second work workshop in my house. And I have a spare bedroom now that's just empty. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be kind of nice to have a, an extra workshop in the house? Because as it is, the shop is out in the backyard. And uh, I don't know, it's a good setup, but now I've got this extra room. My kids wanted, it's my old kids' room. The kids wanted to move into the basement, into separate bedrooms. So they did. Now I've got a now I've got a room upstairs that I don't know what to do with. You know, I don't have much else to report, so why don't we just get into the uh I think we've got some calls to take and we will do that. Let's see who's ringing. If I can make my computer work. This thing is misbehaving pretty badly. Eric and Nat, thank you for keeping the show going. We all appreciate it. You guys are doing a great job. Eric, you uh, interviewed me a couple, few, three, four years ago. Uh, my name is Dave. Um, I have since relocated to Texas, and I remember uh, some some questions about um, that I used to get in a small repair shop before I started uh, working for a big guitar manufacturer in the San Diego area. Um, we had a two-man operation, and it never never failed. Two or three times a year, here's my question. Someone would bring in a perfectly good Gibson Les Paul and ask what we would charge to add a third humbucker in the middle of the two. And my first question to them would be, why do you want to do this? Um, of course, I this happened on a regular basis. Uh, I developed a, a great answer for it. I'm sure you've seen it as well. 
Uh, more often than not, they were a big fan of the band Kiss and never got a chance to buy the, I think it's Ace Freely model. But there are some some issues with three hamburgers being smashed together. And I just want to know what, I'm sure you've run into it as well, what your answer to that question would be. Um, like I said, I had a great time with the interview we did a few years ago. And now I'm in New Braunfels, Texas. So hanging up my shingle as an independent luthier. And keep, you guys need to keep on going with this podcast because you're doing a great job. I'd like to hear what you say about the, uh, free humbucker, Les Paul. And what your thoughts are on that. Chat soon. Later. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. My buddy Dave, he moved, he moved to Texas. Uh, Three humbuckers in a Les Paul. Uh, I, I mean, it's kind of three too many, isn't it? My opinion on that is, um, or I guess I should say my response to that, if somebody came in and asked me to stick an extra humbucker in between the two humbuckers, I would just say, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. It's not a job I want to do. And then you can't really get away with that because when you try to tell someone no, their next question is always, why? Why not? Why won't you do that? Why? Tell me why. And so you kind of have to get into explaining things that should be obvious. First of all, it's a matter of taste. <laughs> okay. And a lot like I mentioned on the the last episode... I don't want to do a repair that's going to come back and haunt me later when you when you sell this thing on Reverb and mention me. Like, Eric Daw, put the extra humbucker in the middle. You know, I mean, just stick a clown wig on me. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, th- the other thing is, there's really not a good way to wire up three humbuckers in a guitar that has one volume well, excuse me, one three-way toggle switch, two volumes and two tones. There's really not a there's really not a good way to do that, just with a standard three-way toggle and four knobs. Like, it, it's not really... It's a wiring nightmare. Plus, it's a routing nightmare. Plus, you're... You're really hurting the value of your guitar, in my opinion. It's just there's no redeeming qualities of this whatsoever. It's not going to sound better. It's not going to look better, in my opinion. So, I can't think of any good reason to do that. That's my opinion. Thanks for calling, Dave. Let's see, who else? Uh, I think we've got more calls. You know, I should mention I got some hate mail about about uh, turning my nose up at Warwick bases, but it didn't get me down too bad. Mostly because I just don't care what bass players think. Hi, Eric and Nat. Uh, this is Al from Vancouver, Canada. Um, Eric, I just got a set of your um, Telecaster pickups, and thank you for those 
my telly was quite dark sounding and these they really brought it to life so i appreciate that it's a much more inspiring guitar to play now my question is about that sort of thing where uh, you know a guitarist dives in uh tries to do a job by herself or himself and uh messes it up now luckily i i got lucky with the soldering it worked out okay do you have any stories of of well-meaning but maybe unskilled uh, musicians you know um attempting something and then having to bring it to you to, to for you to bail them out i'm sure there's some funny stories there maybe not for them but for us as listeners thanks again guys uh see you cool thanks for calling yeah sure that kind of thing happens all the time more often than not it happens with electronics you know people will people will attempt to modify or repair the electronics in their guitar and then just become lost just become lost like a ball in tall weeds to the point where they have no clue and sometimes they'll call me up they'll say eric i have a question for you on a made in mexico black strat from the 90s where does the red wire go <laughs> and then i know and i know what's going on just bring it in just bring it in um so yeah it's often electronics uh very 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 seldom do i see um anything like you know people attempting their own neck resets or 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 I, I do see people try to pull out their own frets. They'll they'll kind of try their own fret job, and they'll just chip the fingerboard out so badly that they just give up and then bring it to me with no frets and a bunch of chips taken out of the fingerboard. That's a that's a bummer. I've seen that several times. Yeah, nothing else that comes to mind. I'll have to think of something. Maybe I'll think of some for the uh, the annual. Horror, horror story episode mm-hmm. that we do. Let's see. I think we have another call. Let's see what's going on with this fella. Hey, Eric. This is Mike in Chicago. Hi, Mike. Doing well, love the podcast. Um, question for you. I am building a Strat-style guitar from parts, and um, I need to drill the holes to mount the bridge, and I'm concerned about making sure that it's in the right spot. Um, uh, kind of side to side, making sure that the strings are centered on the neck. So um, the body right now is routed out for the tremolo block, but there are no holes drilled for the tremolo bridge. Um, and I'm planning on to go with a, like a six-screw vintage-style strat bridge. Um, the neck pocket has the four holes drilled in it already, but my neck has no holes in it. So um, I've done that part of the job, attaching the neck before, but I've never drilled holes for the bridge. So... Um, just wanted to kind of ask you what your process is for ensuring that everything is centered. I'm kind of picturing maybe clamping the neck in place on the um, on the body before I drill those holes for the neck, and then maybe establishing some kind of center line maybe, or or maybe instead kind of trying to string up um, the two outside E strings to align it on the neck. Um, so anyway, just curious what your your method is for that and um, uh, to get a good result. So. Cool. Thanks for listening and looking forward to your answer. Thank you. Bye. 
Yeah, man. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I would do both. I would find a center line, and then you can either clamp the neck on or just, you know, just mount it on and then put the outer strings on. So you've got a center line and you've got the strings for reference, and that should tell you pretty pretty well exactly where it needs to go. Uh, you don't need, any, need to do anything more than that. Yeah, center line and put the outer strings on with the neck on, and and you, you should be in business, man. You want to make sure, too, that you get the, the, the um, positioning right for the string length, but that should be pretty well already kind of established with your uh, tremolo block hole there. Yeah, yeah, good luck, man. That shouldn't be too hard. I think that's all the calls we had. Let me see. Is it? Yes, it is. Yep, that's all the calls we had. Thank you so much for calling. If you want to participate in the show, and you really should, you can call that number 757-774-8482. Leave a message there any time of night or day, and I'll use your message as part of the show. The other way to do it is to, uh, you can write in, uh, to the Fret Files podcast by going to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'm going to take a little break and uh, we'll come back with all of the emails. Be right back. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just got a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music. You can order a neck straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I, think it, I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one. From playersgearmusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's it's a tool, I tell you what, it's gonna pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to playersgearmusic.com, scroll down on the main page, scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says fan of the Fret Files podcast. You click that, that adds one to your cart. 
and it's 50 bucks off. So instead of 749, it's 699. 699, free shipping and it's yours. A neck straightening iron, playersgearmusic.com has them and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. I do. I get stacks and stacks of, well, they're not letters, they're emails, but I do print them out. I do print them out and read them off of paper because it's just, uh, that's just the way to do it. Right? Got a few emails to read. Hi, Eric. I've been making parts caster guitars for a few years now and selling them through eBay. I've had a lot of hecklers online lately from social media and emails and most recently was criticized pretty harshly on one of the guitar forums. How can I get people to take my work seriously? Did you struggle with this as well? Thanks. Love the show. That's Jeremy in Texas. Well, uh, yeah, Jeremy, look, anytime you put yourself out there, um, making a product, making a guitar, offering a service, you're going to get you're going to you're going to get that. You're going to get people who don't like what you're doing or people who criticize you or heckle you. You're going to get it. And some of it some of it might, you know, you, you have to look objectively at what they're saying. If they're just being mean, then that's just people being mean, and people will do that. And the reason that they do that is because you're doing something they wish they could do or they wish that they had done before you got to it. And they're just jealous, man. And there's a lot of that in the world. Believe me, you're, you're going to run into it. But some of it, you need to look at it objectively and say, okay, is this legitimate criticism? Like, if somebody says you're, for example, and I don't know because I didn't, I haven't seen the guitars you make, but let's say they have a criticism like the neck tint is too orange. And you look at it, and it's like the color of a pumpkin. Well, maybe they got a point. So, you know, take the criticism, take it with a grain of salt, look at it objectively, see if you can get anything constructive out of it. Maybe they say something like, oh, your relic work looks super fake, dude. Well, does it? And if you don't think so, then rock on. But And every guitar you're going to make is going to get better and better. You can't please everybody, and you're going to get heckled. It's just part of it. I got, man, I was mercilessly uh, heckled, and I've had all kinds of negative comments and people disparaging me, and it, it just rolls off my back anymore. I don't care, because it's mostly from people who really, they aren't doing what what I'm doing. Uh, they're not making guitars, they're not repairing guitars, you know, and they're not my customers. So there's really, there's one group of people that you need to care about their opinion. And that is the people who are buying your guitars. I assume you're buying them. You said you're selling them through eBay. So if you have people that are buying guitars from you and they like them, 
then listen to what they have to say. Don't listen to the haters. Listen to what your customers have to say. And if a customer has a legitimate complaint, then listen to him, right? But if you're just getting random people being mean on forums, man, that happens to me and you and Les Paul and and Leo Fender. I mean, how many people? How many people talk crap about Gibson and Fender guitars? I mean, I do sometimes, right? I mean, nobody is immune from this. You're you're gonna get that. You're just gonna get that, and. So don't worry about people that don't take you seriously because those aren't your customers. Worry about what your customers think. Focus on that. And just focus on doing the very best job you can. And things are going to be okay. That's my that's my advice, Jeremy. Eric, what kind of adhesive do you recommend to repair loose plastic binding in the waist of an acoustic guitar? That's Jerry in Minnesota. Uh, they make a, it's, it's like model airplane cement and it's really good for plastic binding. I think it's called Sigment, S-I-G-M-E-N-T. Um, it's literally like, it's that, it's that crazy weird glue that, that we used to put model airplanes together with, man, when we were kids, you know, that works well, um, Stuart McDonald makes a glue called, uh, I think it's called Bind All. Let me look. Bind All. For gluing plastic bindings to any tone wood, Bind All is the first choice of major guitar manufacturers, now available in a convenient tube for small shops. So that's a, that's, it's good. Um, it's just a little tube. I don't know. It doesn't say what the solvent is in it, but with any glue that's going to work on binding, it will eat finish. So you have to be really careful with any glue squeeze out, you know, uh, don't let, don't let this glue get on any of the finish anywhere. Um, some people might hate me for saying this, but I think I think that super glue works pretty well for small binding repairs. Well, that's just me. Next question. Where are we? Hey, Eric, I just discovered your podcast just as I started getting interested in building guitars myself, and it's been a great resource. Thanks for doing it and for taking listener questions. I've so far made myself two different jazz master style bodies from reclaimed wood taken from my family's property the silver lining of rampant ash borer beetle infestations. Hmm. Both are single piece. The first is one and three quarter inches thick spalted maple, and the second is one and five eighths inch thick ash. Despite the thinner dimension of the ash, it is heavier by several ounces. In your experience, how much does the weight of a body impact its quality as an instrument? The internet seems to think that lighter is always better. I'm curious as I evaluate blanks for future builds. Thanks for any insights, Brandon in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, everybody has an opinion on this. I like light guitars, but it's mostly because I have a bad back, and I play blues gigs that are like four- and five-hour gigs, and I can't have a heavy guitar, man. It hurts. 
I do like the resonance and airiness that you that a light guitar has, but I think it's all in my mind, man. Because really, you know, it used to be the other way around in in the seventies. Guys were all about heavier guitars. They thought, man, the heavier guitar is going to resonate better. This it's just like a it's just a changing preference, a fad, right? So, the, the, I'll answer this how I answer so many questions. Have you ever listened to a record and thought, wow, that guitar sounds like it's like it weighs about seven and a half pounds? Or, oh, that guitar, that guitar sounds like it weighs, you know, maybe like nine pounds. That sounds like a heavy guitar. Or this one sounds like it's maybe six pounds. No, you don't. Because it doesn't, you don't hear that. It doesn't make a difference. It's more about how the guitar feels to you. That's really what it's about, and how well it's made, and how things are put together. Yes, the different densities and weights, and you know, that can have an effect on resonance, right? Overall resonance, but there's so many factors. There's there's so many factors that it's really about personal preference. That's really what it's about. That's what it comes down to. I prefer them lighter. It seems that a lot of people do. Most people do. But is it because of tone, or is it because we just think that they sound better? Hmm? I think it's just that we think they sound better, personally. Eric, you talked a few times lately about loosening up a pot, but I'm wondering about the opposite. Is there a way to tighten a pot? I have one guitar with a pot so loose that it rolls down while I play. That's from Jeff in New Jersey. Yeah, Jeff. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. I've um, I've done this a couple times for a few customers who asked for some kind of solution to this, but the only thing that I've ever thought of or the only thing that I've ever done that worked for this is you put some felt in between uh, the knob and the the pot right so you put almost like that little felt disc that you put under a strap button just something to give the knob a little bit of resistance you can put a felt disc with a hole punched in it under the knob so you put so you know you uh, take the knob off put a felt basically felt washer for lack of a better word there and then you can snug up the pot to the felt and that's gonna that's gonna inhibit how freely it turns i can't think of any other way to uh make a pot have a stiffer feel without ruining it. If anybody knows of any, if anybody knows of any hacks to do that, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, what could you do? Like, squeeze Loctite down where the shaft meets the housing? It doesn't sound like a good idea. What could you do? What could you do? Um, If anybody has any ideas on that, I'd love to hear it. But that's the only thing I've ever attempted and it it did help is put some felt under the knob so that it has something to rub up against alrighty next question here hello fret files hope you're all doing well 
What do you think of reinforcing guitar necks with carbon fiber? Do you see any actual benefit from that? Also, what do you think of laminating a neck for additional stiffness? Keep up the good work. Thanks, that's from Aaron. Uh, Carbon fiber is a good choice. Uh, It's nice and light. Um, I like that. It's very, very strong. It's like, you know, as strong or if not stronger than steel. So, yeah, carbon fiber rod is a good choice. I mean, I prefer an adjustable truss rod. But what some people do is they'll put they'll put like a single action or, you know, just a single truss rod down the middle of the neck. And on either side, they'll put a carbon fiber strip to reinforce it. It's pretty cool, man. I mean, hey, reinforcing a neck is a good deal. Uh, as far as laminating necks go, a lot of guitar companies do. Um, I don't. I, I like solid maple necks. You know, it's interesting what G&L does. If you've ever looked at, at a G&L, it's such a weird deal. They take a solid maple neck and they cut it right down the middle. They take the blank, they cut it right down the middle, and then they swap it end to end so that it's it's the same piece of wood, but they've just cut it and then they swap. They only turn one piece and then glue it back together. So it's a supposed to add strength they say it's supposed to counteract the wood's natural you know propensity toward whatever warp it might have but i don't know it just seems like a weird thing to do to me at least that's what i've heard gosh now that i think about it i hope that that's not (laughs) incorrect it could be an apocryphal tale that i heard there's so many of those. I mean, how how often do you hear some crazy guitar story that turns out to be not true, like all the time? Yeah. Probably some of them here on the show. <clears throat> you never know. Hey, man, I was listening to a previous episode of yours, and the guitar history subject was John Lennon's 325 Rickenbacker. You were just drooling from the mouth to hold that guitar. So, here in Chicago... At Old Town Music of Folk School, they have John Lennon's Martin, the last acoustic guitar that he played uh, at a show. And every year, they have an open house to raise money, and they have the community come check out the school, and they bring out John Lennon's Martin, and anyone can play it. I played it, and yes, it was like the coolest guitar I ever played. Next time you're in Chicago, check them out. The guitar is always on display for anyone to see. Peace. That's from Lauren in Chicago. Man, that's cool. That's cool. I don't know if it would be anywhere near the same effect to for me to play John Lennon's Martin that he played in 1980 or whatever, whenever he played it, versus that 325 that he played on, you know, like Ed Sullivan. Ooh, man, that guitar's cool. That guitar is so cool, and it's just so little. You don't realize how little that guitar is. They were small dudes. They weren't giant guys. And that guitar looks pretty normal size on John Lennon. He was kind of a small guy. Um, But that thing looks like a toy on most guys. 
Because it is, it's tiny. Like the scale length is just something ridiculously small. It's like a, it's, it's really a tiny guitar, but what a cool looking guitar. Man, that Rick 325 is just, what a beautiful design. It's too bad they don't play very well. I've owned several. <laughs> they, they really, they don't play very well at all. That's my opinion. Eric, I don't know how you do it, but these pickups are fantastic. Wow, thanks, man. Not only that, but they are far more affordable than a lot of other boutique pickup winders. Thank you for consistently doing such amazing work. I'm going to get a lifetime of enjoyment out of these. Thanks. That's from TJ. Thanks, TJ. I guess I made TJ some pickups. Man, thank you. I, I appreciate it, and I can't not add that to the podcast. I do make pickups. I do rewind pickups, so if you ever have anything like that you need done, you know where to find me. Just go to ericdaw.com. All right, that does it for this show. It's kind of a short episode, and I apologize for that, but I don't have a co-host, and it's been a rough day, man. i got to be honest with you. It's been a rough day. Real rough day, but the podcast is due. The show must go on, so I... Uh, put on a brave face and did the show and now you have it now you've listened to it don't you feel don't you feel 30 minutes smarter (laughs) maybe you feel 30 minutes dumber i don't know i do i'll talk to you next time thank you and good night